0: You've Always Wanted. And it's based on a book by John Ortberg. Uh, you The copies that are available out in the lobby look a little different than my copy, um, but it's the same book. And every once in a while at Restoration Church, we use a book to supplement um, the Sunday messages. And so we basically will take parts of a, the chapter that we're reading that week and we will put it into the message. And sometimes we deviate a little bit from the chapter, and sometimes we deviate a lot from the chapter, uh, and sometimes we share a lot of information that is in the chapter that we're reading. And this time, as we go through this book, um, if, you, if this is your first time here since we've started talking about this series, um, we're going to go from now until next August in this series. And normally, we read a chapter a week. Um, during the month of October, if you want to pick up a reading schedule out on the table, we will probably go through about a chapter a week. But after that, um, we're going to take a chapter a month. And this is a book about spiritual disciplines. In fact, if you've ever read a book by Dallas Willard, Dallas Willard is a um, theologian. Very, um, when I read Dallas Willard, sometimes I have to read it twice to understand what he said. And uh, John Ortberg will say that this is Dallas Willard for dummies. And so um, I find this book a lot easier to read and understand. And we're going to be talking over the next year about the different spiritual disciplines that should be a part of our lives and bring us to a place of transformation. And today, the message is actually entitled, based off the chapter, first chapter of the book, The Hope of Transformation. The Hope of Transformation. If you want a copy of the book, there are books available um, in the back on the, the table in the lobby. There's a lot of information at that table. I encourage you to stop by there um, after the service today. And we today are going to start with the, at the beginning, if you will. And so in the, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, Jesus comes on the scene. And in verse 15 of Mark, chapter 1, Jesus says this. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul echoes these words when he writes that at, the, at just the right time, or when the fullness of time came, God sent his son. And so what Jesus is doing is he's entering the, the picture, he's entering the, the scene here, and he's saying this is God's ordered time. I don't know if you think about this often. I was backstage as Christina was praying, and I thought, you know, before the foundation of the world, God saw today. He saw me here in this room with you. And so I don't know what's going on in your life and how crazy or chaotic things might be, but it should give us great comfort to know that there is a God in heaven that saw every day of our lives before even one of them came to be. And I know that a lot of things happen in our lives that we wish we had answers for, or we just don't understand why they went the way they went. But we can rest assured in the fact that there's a God who stands over all of it. And the scripture reveals he holds us in the palm of his hand. And so Jesus steps on the scene and says, the kingdom of God has come near. In some places or some versions of the Bible, it'll say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is breaking out. So what Jesus is saying is there's a kingdom that really runs right alongside of the world, the kingdom of this world. And it's here. It's breaking out. It's at hand. It's near us. In the book, John Ortberg talks about the, the Chronicles of Narnia if you've ever read cs lewis's books or you've watched the movie and you know that these kids enter this alternate world this alternate universe and he talks about how we have this infatuation with another world and the other world in narnia is so near it's you just through the wardrobe and right there you are you're in this whole other parallel universe and in an essence that's what jesus is talking about he's saying there's a kingdom That's available for our lives and it's here. It's at hand. It's within you. It's breaking out right now and he says repent and believe the good news or the gospel and we we talk a lot in our world today about the gospel and we talk a lot about repent. The word repent literally just means to change, to turn around, to change the way you think, to change the way you behave, to live differently because of some type of information. So Jesus says, there's a kingdom that's at hand, it's here, it's breaking out, so live differently, live differently as a result of this, believe the gospel, the good news that I'm about to tell you, that you can have entrance into this kingdom. Repentance is not just about being sorry for the wrong things we've done. That's a part of it. But repentance is an entire change of lifestyle. How should I live now that heaven has come? If I wouldn't live any differently because heaven has come than I do right now, something is wrong. Jesus said, I came to bring a brand new way of living. It's totally different than anything we've ever known before. There's a danger in our world of making the gospel about the afterlife. And while the afterlife is a part of the gospel message, that's not what Jesus came to give. He didn't come to give us life after this one. He came to give us life now, to live differently. Paul says it in Philippians chapter 3 when he's telling the people of Philippi that they are citizens of heaven. Now, you have to understand that Philippi would understand this because Philippi was a Roman colony, if you will. So for the citizens of Philippi, it wasn't about, as Roman citizens, it wasn't about someday going to Rome. It was about bringing the Roman lifestyle where they were. And so Paul's making this brilliant analogy for them that they understood fully is you're citizens of heaven. Not that that's where one day you're going to end up, but that now you live like citizens of heaven here on earth. So whatever the culture of heaven is, live like that here. Let it break out of your lives. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, Paul, or Solomon says, God has put eternity in our hearts. And again, he's not talking about the afterlife. He's talking about our calling as sons and daughters of God, what God originally designed for the earth. So when Jesus steps on the scene and makes this grand announcement, the time has come. I mean, now you know why all of the angels are literally standing in heaven watching what's about to happen. The time has come. The fulfillment of what God originally wanted for humans on earth is breaking out. The kingdom of God is at hand. You and I can now live as representatives of him on earth, carrying out his will the same way that he intended for Adam and Eve to live. That's what Jesus is announcing. Paul echoes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I did put this this sermon on the screen. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Not is coming, it's here. And if you're like me, and you're like John Ortberg, if you've read the chapter for this week, you recognize that when you look at your life, when I look at my life, I don't see, always see the new has come. And John wrestles with this idea of the great disappointment in our life, same, the same way the Apostle Paul wrestles with it in Romans chapter 6. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. John wrestles with and talks about the disappointment that he has with himself. And some of those disappointments are trivial. He wishes he was more muscular, he wishes he could do more home repairs, maybe home repairs the way Christina does them, uh, or maybe that's the way he does home repairs and so he wishes they were more. He talks about the neurotic ways he's disappointed with himself and how he often worries how what other people think of him and how he responds to things or does things because he's worried about what other people think. But then he talks about the deeper ways that he's disappointed with himself, that he's not the husband that he wishes he would be or the friend or the neighbor or the father. And he, tell, he shares a story in the book that just resonates in my heart of the idea of a child spilling a drink at a meal. I mean, anyone have children who's ever spilled something at a meal? And how easy it is as a parent to yell at them as if they've just displayed some type of character flaw And then realize after that I spill things all the time and no one yells at me. But I do it because I'm big and they're little and because I can. And he talks about the missed opportunities as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a neighbor. And the disappointment that he feels with himself. The regrets. The disappointment that he still loves God so little and still loves sin so much. And just... When we think that he is in this place where he has this ability to be so self-aware of all of his disappointments, he even says he's disappointed in that because he's very self-aware but yet very apathetic and sometimes just doesn't even care at all. And I don't know about you, but that resonates with me because I read this, uh, this passage that the, the old has gone, the new is here, and then I'm like, eh, not all the time. And it's easy for us to resign to that concept, well, we're only human. It's easy for us to resign to that concept that, well, when we get to heaven, one day we'll be transformed. But yet the gospel is about the hope of transformation now. And he doesn't bring up these things so that we walk around ashamed of ourselves or carrying guilt because a few Passages later from Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says there's, no now, there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's not about that. It's about restoring hope that there is transformation available to you and I because of what Christ has done for us. And so we don't want to become weary in doing that next right thing. But we want to stay hopeful, not just for the transformation of our own lives, but for the transformation of the lives of people around us. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, for some of us, maybe we were raised in church, and so we think that our minds are already renewed, but I promise you, we are always in this process of having our minds made new, because we live in a culture that is not the culture of the kingdom of heaven. And we have to constantly reorder our lives and our thinking and say, no, the reality that I see is not how I'm called to live. I'm not called to react to this moment. I'm not called to live according to the rules and the customs of this world. I'm called to live by a higher standard. And if the kingdom of God was actually visible on earth right now, would I live differently? And if I would, I'm called to live that way now. I'm called to respond that way now. And the point is transformation is possible. It is possible for me not to live grumpy. It is possible for me to live and not complain about things throughout my day. It is possible for me to live this transformed life. (laughs) But it is not easy, and it is not quick. And sometimes we get disillusioned with how slow the process is in our own lives and in the lives of people around us. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, my dear children, writing to this church, for who I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I don't, you ever had a child? Pains of childbirth? I I've never had one, personally, but I've, I've seen pain in childbirth, and I imagine it's painful. Paul says that Christ be formed in us, that transformation, is a painful process, not even just for the Galatians, but for the Apostle Paul, and sometimes we're called to walk alongside people, and there's a pain involved in helping them live out that transformed life some of our problem is how we view our spiritual life we sometimes view our lives in compartmentalized ways where my spiritual life is one thing and my uh, the rest of my life is another and so when i read my bible when i pray when i go to church when i do these things this is my spiritual life and then the rest of my time this is the other compartment of my life this is the rest of my life but Jesus didn't come to offer us an add-on to our lives. He came to offer us a new life, a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of processing, a new way of responding, a new way of talking, a new way of behaving, a new way of treating others, all according to his kingdom. So God isn't interested in our spiritual life. He wants our life. And a lot of times, the frustration we feel and the lack of transformation that we have is the compartmentalized way we live or the refusal to surrender everything to Him. Maybe the refusal to surrender our tongue. Maybe the refusal to surrender our entertainment choices. Maybe the refusal to surrender the the worry, the need to worry, or the need to manipulate and control the people around me. God wants us to live with him. He's made this new way of living possible. In the book of Ephesians, when Paul's writing to the Ephesians church, he says in verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. The salvation that's been offered by his his death and his burial and his resurrection isn't because I, I deserve it. And we all know that. But sometimes we live looking at the people out there as if we do deserve it, and they aren't living up to what they should be. And Jesus is stepping onto the scene. Paul is telling us that we are God's masterpiece, created anew, there's that word again, in Christ Jesus, to do the good things He planned for us long ago. The good things that He planned for us long ago was not read your Bible, pray, and go to church. The good things he planned for us long ago was to be his representative here on the earth. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus want us to pray that way if that wasn't a reality that could take place in our daily lives? And this is what over the next year we're going to wrestle with. We're going to wrestle with, how do I get this transformation happening in my life more and more? How do I come to a place where I am living as if the kingdom of heaven is here? Because it is. C.S. Lewis is famous for this quote, and it's in chapter 1 of the book. And uh, it's it's one that I've shared with you before in other sermons. I I love the writings of C.S. Lewis. He was so profound. But he writes this, he says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. I don't know if that makes you uncomfortable to think that he's referring to humans as possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption, so as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. In other words, we, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. And their life is ours, is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And as a a church, as we walk out this process of transformation, we want to keep in mind that not only am I called to live as a son or daughter of God, but I'm also called to change the way I view the people around me because it's easy for us to think that that person's hopeless. That person's not worth my time. That person's, and C.S. Lewis brings us back to this concept that every person we encounter is immortal. And we have been called to live out our calling as sons and daughters of God, kingdom of earth here and now. In the chapter, the story of Moses is what John uses to illustrate the, the need for spiritual disciplines in our lives, because the hope of transformation is possible for us, but it's not going to happen automatically. It's not going to happen because I pray a prayer. It's not going to happen just because I routinely read my Bible. It's not going to happen because I go to church every Sunday. That There has to be a point in our lives where the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. Because we cannot be transformed and continue to think the way we've always thought. We can't be transformed and continue to live the way that we've always lived. Something has to change. In the starting point, he uses the life of Moses when Moses encounters God at the the burning bush. And he talks to us about the need to turn aside. As God holds out the possibility for transformation in our lives, we need to turn aside. We need to turn towards him. Not just one time but continuously to look for him, to expect him, to see him always at work finishing what he has started. In Exodus chapter 3, we get the story of Moses as he was raised in Egypt for 40 years, and then he runs from Egypt because he killed the Egyptian, and he spends 40 years out in the desert as a shepherd wandering. And so at 80 years of age, he sees a bush that is burning but not consumed. And in verse 3, we pick up the story, and Moses says, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. You and I have a need daily to turn aside. Spiritual disciplines are the act of turning aside. It's the act of getting out of our normal routine, our ruts, and making sure that we're aware of the presence of God with us all day long. And it's interesting that God waits until Moses turns aside for him to commission him, to call him. And all of it hinges on Moses' willingness to, to turn aside, to interrupt his daily routine and begin to pay attention to the presence of God. And then God puts out this call for Moses to go back to the land of Egypt and to lead God's people out of Egypt. And if you know the story, you know God, Moses is, is kind of wondering why God comes now. I mean, 40 years earlier, he was younger. He was stronger. He had connections. He had power. Now, 40 years on the backside of the desert, he's, he stutters. He's not, he's not sure of himself. Uh, you, you need to find someone else. All of these things. And yet God reassures him, Moses, I know who you are and I know what you are, but that's not all that you are. You are what you are, but you are not yet what you will be. And I will Be with you. Spiritual disciplines are not about me becoming something. It's about me remembering God is with me. He's with me. He's being formed in me. He is always with me. Spiritual disciplines is about the awareness of God's presence in my life daily. And so... It's time to believe that transformation is possible. I don't know if you've ever watched the Power Rangers. My son was a Power Rangers fan when he was growing up, and so I never really watched a full episode. I mean, I watched some, and I researched some, because he was into it and watched it. But um, the, the Power Rangers, if you don't know, are just normal adolescent children. But yet when, it, when the time comes for them to encounter something that's difficult or something that of course needs a superhero, it's morphing time, they would say, and they would morph into some, some other type of being that had some type of extraordinary power so that they together could overcome all of these evil forces. And so, of course, we're introduced to the, the mighty Morphin Power Rangers in chapter 1 of the book, and we're told that that desire for transformation, that morphing that the Power Rangers experience, is actually inside the human heart. Humans desire to be something we're not. This is why, as human beings, we go to therapy, we join health clubs, we join recovery groups, we read self-help books, we attend motivational seminars, and we make New Year's resolutions, because we want to be something we're not. And John actually talks about... His church as when he was a time when he was a pastor, and he would tell them it's morphing time. And that word morph is actually a word that's used very often in the New Testament. There's a Greek word morpho or morphu that's used, and it's actually the one that we used in Galatians, where we talked about Christ being formed in us. That's a variation of this word morph or morphu. Another time is in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed, there's that word, transformed, conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Total transformation. That's the goal of our lives. John writes in the book this quote, The primary goal of spiritual life is human transformation. It is not making sure people know where they're going after they die, or helping them have a richer interior life, or seeing that they have lots of information about the Bible, although these can be good things. Let's put first things first. The first goal of spiritual life is the reclamation of the human race. It's morphing time. So when God created Adam and Eve and he put them in a garden and he said, I want you to represent me on the earth. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to be my representatives here. That's what you have been called to do as God has created you new in Christ Jesus. We are to live as if the kingdom of heaven is here because it is. In chapter one, we're introduced to a lady by the name of Mabel. And John meets Mabel in a nursing home. At 89 years old, Mabel is blind. She's almost completely deaf, and she has been alone for 25 years. And we encounter Mabel when John gives her a flower, and Mabel's first response is to lift the flower to her nose and smell it because she's blind, and then to ask if she can give the flower to someone else who can enjoy it. And so he pushes her through the hall until they find someone that she can give the flower to. And over the course of time, as he spends time with Mabel, he is surprised at how encouraging, upbeat, full of hope and joy, this woman who has been in a nursing home alone for 25 years, mostly deaf, totally blind, is. The amazing outlook that she has on life and the love for Jesus he describes this way. Imagine being in her condition and then saying a quote from her. He had asked her how, what she thinks about all day as she lies in bed. I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life. You know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. And as I read the story of Mabel and all that Mabel doesn't have, it's interesting to me how much Mabel focuses on what she does indeed have. And the transformation that's in her life is not given to us so that we feel like, oh man, I'm, I'm nowhere near that, but to show us that even in some of the most dire circumstances, that life, that transformed life is possible. John goes on to write, The good news, as Jesus preached it, is that now it is possible for ordinary men and women to live in the presence and under the power of God. The good news, as Jesus preached it, is not about the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven when you die. It's about the glorious redemption of human life. Your life. It's morphing time. So today, we're going to start a year-long journey that is really just the beginning or the middle of a lifelong journey. And I want to encourage you to meditate on some of the scriptures that I've shared in the the passage in the message today. In the back of the book, you're going to find a study guide that actually gives other scriptures to reference and read and look up and discussion questions that You can answer just on your own, or you can have coffee with someone else from the church, and you can have conversation with them about what God is revealing to you. We're also going to create a a group on Slack. If you don't know what Slack is or you want to be a part of Slack, Slack is just a platform where we can discuss things when we're not together in the same room at all the time throughout the week. So as God shows things to you or reveals things to you or there's testimonies in your life that you want to share with the rest of our, our body, that's what Slack is for. I hope that you today will walk out of this room with the hope of transformation, that no matter where you are in your life, no matter how dissatisfied you are with your life, no matter how disappointed you might be with your life, that there is the possibility of transformation for you. The place that we begin, of course, is to enter the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but Peter tells us in the book of Acts that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To repent, again, just means to change our way of thinking, to recognize that I can't live as a son and daughter of God without what Christ has done for me. It's to recognize that I've broken God's law, that I've fallen short of what His original design was for my life. All of us have. That's what the scripture teaches us. And so it's to admit to him that that's the condition that I find myself in. And to believe that Jesus gave his life on a cross to take the penalty for our sin. And then he rose again to give us new life. Sometimes we forget that when we share the gospel. Jesus didn't just die to forgive our sin. He rose again to give us this new life that we can live this transformed life here on this earth. He's opened access to the kingdom of God through his resurrection. So when I repent, believe, and commit my life to him, my full self, not just an add-on, not just I'll read my Bible more, not just I'll pray once in a while, not just I'll attend church, I surrender all, all, every dream, every desire, every passion, every argument, every need to point out my rightness, everything all His, to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, that transformation won't happen overnight, but it will happen. As long as you continue to walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit and in community with other believers, transformation is possible. I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to close your eyes. And in just a moment, if you have never made that commitment to enter the kingdom of God the way I've described. You've never put faith in Christ. You've never um, admitted your sin to Him and believed on Him. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in a moment. But I want to challenge you. If you're in this room and you have done that, you've given your life to Christ, you're walking that journey with Him, I want to ask you a question. I I want you to wrestle with this for a moment. I want you to ask yourself... Have have you accepted a gospel that is mostly about the afterlife? Is the life that you're living in Christ mostly about where you're going to spend life after you die? Or is it more about the transformed life, the calling that God has for you as a son and daughter of God right now? Have you embraced that? Are you living like a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Are you seeing the people around you as immortal? Are you filled with hope that even the most hopeless person in your life is not beyond the ability to be transformed by the power of God? And maybe the person in your life that you think is the most beyond hope is yourself. And so if you're in this room today and you have never put faith in Christ, you've never entered the kingdom, you've never repented, believed on him, admitted that you've fallen short of God's standard for your life, And today you say, today I want to do that. Today I want to accept what Christ has done on my behalf, and I want to come into the kingdom of heaven, and I want to start living in this calling as a son and daughter of God. I want this transformed life. I know that I was created for more. There's something that's resonating in your heart today. It's that eternity that God has put in your heart that says you were made for more. And if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you but I'd like to know who you are. I want to pray with you today. And so if you're here and you've never made that commitment to follow Christ, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to pray that prayer today. I want to accept Christ's sacrifice on my behalf. I want to come into the kingdom today. That's me. Pray for me today. Is there anyone in the room that would say, that's my decision today? Then I'll assume that, we've all done that. And so as you wrestle with that question, are you living mostly for the afterlife or are you living for transformation today? If you're in the room and you say, Pastor Tom, I need to start living more fully in my calling as a son or daughter of God. Maybe you've bit into the lie that it's just about what happens when you die and you're only human, you're never going to be perfect, and you've lost the hope of transformation, either for yourself or for other people in your lives. And you say, today, I just need an awakening of hope in my heart. I need the hope of transformation for myself or for someone else in my life to just come alive again. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and say, I'm going to pray that today. Anyone else? There's hands up all over this room. I need the hope of transformation in my life. It starts with a shift of our mindset. And so as we close this service in prayer today, that's what my prayer is going to be for us I say us because I need that same hope in my life. There are days that I get, I get down on myself. I'm not who I want to be. And it's easy to lose hope on myself or the people around me and to forget that God has called us to live as sons and daughters of God with the hope of transformation alive in our hearts. And one of the things that I prayed in preparation for this service today is that God would show us The next right thing to do. A lot of times we talk about what is the will of God for our lives. And I have a mentor in my life that very early on in my life said the will of God is very simple. It's to do the next right thing. We sometimes think about the will of God as who we're going to marry or what job we're going to have or some big thing. But the will of God is as simple as just doing the next right thing. And so today as we close, I've asked the Holy Spirit to just show us what's that next right thing? What's that one area of my life that I need to fix or focus on or cut off? What's that one decision, that one choice, that one mindset, that one thing? Where can His Word just be that lamp for my feet today to show me the one step I need to take? It might be apologizing to someone. It might be laying something down that you know the Lord has asked you to lay down in the past. And as Christy prayed this morning, that you lay down, but you pick up and you lay down and you pick up. And maybe it's time to bring someone else into that situation and say, I need you to hold me accountable because I keep laying this thing down and picking it back up and I need to lay it down. And maybe it's time to confess your sin to someone else. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another so you may be healed. So you might find the type of restoration that you're looking for. And so I don't know what that's going to be for you. I don't know what that's going to be for me. But I pray that the Holy Spirit opens that hope of transformation in every one of our hearts today. I want to invite you to stand with me. And as we close, I want you to put your hands out in front of you just in a receiving posture. I believe in the power of prayer, and I believe that God is ever-present with us. But I think sometimes we just need to put ourselves in a posture where we're actually imagining ourselves receiving from Him what we need. And so, Father, today for every one of us in this room, God, for those that lifted a hand and say, I, I need hope to be breathed in my heart. Holy Spirit, may you cause us today to overflow with hope by your power. Not by our own strength, not by our own willpower, not by our own emotions, but would you cause hope, the hope of transformation in our own lives. God, for that sin that has just, it just held on to us, That temper, that addiction, that attitude, that character flaw that we just can't seem to shake. Renew our hope today. God, that you came, you died, you were raised again to bring transformation to our lives. Breathe hope into our hearts today. God, for the people in our lives, whether it's our spouse, whether it's our children, whether it's a, another relative, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a neighbor, God, that person that we have, have looked down upon, that we have snubbed, that we've exploited, that we've turned our back on, would you breathe fresh hope in our hearts today for their transformation? God, that over this next year, as we walk this journey together, God, that there would be genuine transformation in each and every one of our lives. May we be better as a body at encouraging one another, God, of coming alongside one another, strengthening one another, of helping one another. God, may we be better at asking for help, of confessing our sins to one another, of being willing to be more vulnerable than we've ever been before. And so, Holy Spirit, for each of us today, I ask for that next right thing. What is it that we need to do to take that first step in transformation today? What's the one thought process that needs to be addressed? The one behavior that needs to be dealt with? The one relationship that needs us to act on? Holy Spirit, speak plainly and speak clearly to each and every one of us today. Show us a step. That we should take. God, above all, I pray today for each and every one of these, these people to walk out of this room, each and every person that's watching online, to walk out of this room knowing that you're with us. God, that you are for us and you're not against us. You're not angry, waiting to crush us. God, you're you're longing for us to step into the destiny you have for us as sons and daughters and live in that calling. God, may each person be assured that you're fighting for them, that you're with them today. Now, God, I pray your blessing over this body. I ask that you would bless them and keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them. God, that you would lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. God, may you be gracious to them. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here with us today. I want to encourage you to stop by the information table in the lobby. Before you leave today, there's a lot of information out there for you. If you want a copy of the book, those are available for you today. God bless you as you go.